Father, we thank you for this opportunity, God, to come here this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the freedom to study your word. And I pray, God, as we venture through this sermon series, Lord, that we could have a deeper understanding of who you are, Father, your attributes as they pertain to the gospel, Father. And I pray, God, that you gather us closer, Lord, around your word than ever before in these days, Lord, whenever your word, Father, is being turned aside, whenever your word, Father God, is being argued that it is no longer immutable, Father, that it is changing through culture. So, Father, I pray, I pray, God, this morning, through your Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me, Father. I pray, Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, to illuminate your word to us, Father, that we can truly see, God, how your word is alive and is active, Father, and truly sharper than any two-edged sword. May it pierce our hearts this morning, Father God. May it go deep into us this morning, Father. And may we come to the understanding, Lord, of how important your scriptures are, Father. And God, we ask you to be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So guys, beginning of a new uh, sermon series, you can see behind me uh, the word sola uh, scriptura, which basically means scripture alone. And the definition of sola scriptura, it is a foundational pillar that the reformers set amongst five other solas. There is uh, scripture alone, there is faith alone, there is grace alone. And what I want to look at through this sermon series is scripture alone and how important scripture is and how sufficient Scripture is in itself to be able to govern and shape our faith and our actions as Christians. And really we're seeing today, if anyone has seen the news this week, we are seeing continually a turning aside from God's word as being immutable. Immutable meaning unchanging. We've just seen this week the announcement from the Presbyterian Church in Scotland that they're coming out and apologising for what they deem to be a misinterpretation of Scripture and the fact that they now see marriage as being inclusive of same-sex couples. It has been condemned by the Presbytery in Northern Ireland and Ireland, and we are thankful for that. But what I want to look at whenever we continue through this series is how important it is to constantly set aside culture, set aside Christian culture in particular, Christian history when it comes to our faith and when it comes to our actions as Christians and that we constantly have to go back to the word just like the reformers did and understand that it is the authority of the scripture alone. It's one of the things that Paul even addressed in his day whenever he said that if anyone else comes and preaches a different kind of gospel than what we preached, even if it is an angel, let no man, no angel has the authority to change or to twist the scripture, which is God's word. And we have a quote, very famous quote for anybody who is a studier of theology, as Luther said, and I quote, a simple layman armed with the scripture is greater than the mightiest pope without it. And we understand that the true application of the school of scripture is to set aside what you may have been taught even as you've grown up through your Christian life, as you've been going to church, is to be able to set aside what is not Scripture-based and for us to delve deeper into Scripture. And what I want to do this morning is I want to look in the book of Amos. I invite you, if you have a copy of God's Word, to open up to the book of Amos, one of the minor prophets. And we're going to be in Amos chapter 8, verse 11. Just to give a bit of 
context to what we're going to be reading this morning. Amos was a minor prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. This was at a time whenever God's kingdom was divided into two. You had the, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judea. For those of us who read the word, we may be more familiar with the, with the southern kingdom of Judea where Jerusalem is. But we're reading about here a prophet sent by the Lord who was given a specific command to tell the people and to warn the people of the destruction of the northern kingdom and the destruction of the capital city, which was Samaria. Now, Amos, a little bit about him. He was a layman, so to speak, the same sort of uh, wording that uh, Luther uses. He was a simple man. He describes himself as a herdsman. He describes himself as a dresser of sycamore trees. This has happened in church history in and around 760 B.C., and at the time, whenever this prophecy was coming through, the prophet Amos the northern kingdom of Israel was having its most prosperous time. They, were, they had so much money, things were going so good for them that they actually thought that their prosperity and their wealth was a sign that God was actually with them, that it was a sign of God's blessing upon them. And it couldn't be further from the truth, as we're going to be reading this morning, how they were acquiring their wealth and they're acquiring their goods from the oppression of the poor, from the oppression of the afflicted, and how they were using the people around them to be able to gather all this wealth in. We also understand that at this particular time, they were longing for the coming of the day of the Lord, for the coming of the Messiah, even though this is some 760 years in and around before the coming of Christ. We understand from, from the context of Scripture and the history of Scripture that they actually believed that because of their prosperity, because of their wealth, that God was soon to come and finally they were going to have complete and total victory, if you want to quote Joel Osteen, over every other nation of the world because God was so pleased with them and God was so happy with them and God was going to send the Messiah. The day of the Lord was going to come and they were going to finally not only oppress the poor but oppress all nations and become victorious as the true sonship of God as Israel. Now, we understand that this is not the case because just after the prophecy of Amos, within around 20 years, not only were they not continuing in that prosperity, but they were completely annihilated and obliterated and took off the map, so to speak, and scattered throughout the nations as the coming of the attack of the Assyrians. So we have to understand the context, what we're reading from, and how this was a warning of Amos to the people in that day. have to make sure when we come to Scripture that we do it exegetically. We understand that this Scripture is aimed at the people of that time. But we also understand that this is also given us a foretaste and given us a shadowing of what is to come when it comes to the true coming of the Messiah that we understand today. And what, what I want to read this morning is what Amos says, as I said in chapter 8, verse 11, when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. 
Now, again, we understand that the context of this is pointing to the, the total destruction of Israel, the scattering of the people, no longer gathering within their temple for the, for the worship of the Lord. And for them, in that day, they'll be longing and yearning to hear the word of the Lord read, but yet they will be unable to find it. But for us today, we can also see this prophecy is pointing towards us in today's society. Whereas I mentioned already that the word of the Lord is no longer being preached in many congregations, in many gatherings of the church. We've seen it this week, as I said, through the presbytery in Scotland deciding that they're going to set aside God's word. It is no longer the word of God. It is no longer the immutable word of God. It can change and we're no longer going to look at it through sola scriptura, through scripture alone because the whole essence of sola scriptura is that we translate scripture with scripture. How does the word of God that illuminates us to the meaning of the word of God, we never take what is clear and translate it through what is vague in scripture. We always take what is clear to translate what is vague in scripture. That way we are, no long, we are not running from, from every wind of doctrine. And if there is a passage of scripture that in the initial reading may seem unclear, may seem to contradict, you understand that God's word never contradicts Therefore, you have to apply sola scriptura, which means we take what we know to be true, what is clearly evident, to be able to apply and decipher what may be vague and what may be unclear. And what Amos was saying to the people then is that you're going to long, not for your riches, you're going to long, not for your wealth, but what you're going to long for is the word of God. And we live in a society today that is that is seeped in the word of God and yet very few people find it to be truly a treasure in which they long to devour, in which they long to study. What I hope to do through the number of weeks we're going to spend in this sermon series, I want us to get into the word of God in a deeper and more meaningful way so that we can understand the depths of the gospel and how it applies and the depths of missions and how it applies and how the word of God is meant to be transforming our lives and that even though, as we've looked at, to be deemed narrow-minded as in not to believe that you're able to marry same-sex couples we go back to scripture and scripture very clearly tells us otherwise to them so this is what is evident for the warning for the people in Amos's day and it's the same warning for us that today we are living in a society and in a culture where there is a famine where there are people today going from church to church, to church, there's new genuine converts coming to the Lord, longing for spiritual milk, and rather than getting the nutrients that they need to grow spiritually through the devouring of the word and the studying of the word, they're getting fed with nothing more than lukewarmness, and very quickly they're becoming starved to death spiritually. That's why we see the the substitute for God's word in the church, within the gathering of his saints, not being about devoted to the word, standing upon the rock that is the scripture, but being devoted to entertainment, being devoted to what your child can get from Sunday school or what church can do for you. The whole aspect of the bride of Christ is being undermined, being underroded, and ultimately being raped by what is the cultural norm and Christianity of bringing the world in to impact the church rather than the church through the scripture impacting the world. It's a massive problem today as it was even in the prophecy of Amos. 
Because we live today in a society where we can go now to any world that we want and we can buy food, goods, clothes and everything. But the word of God then is giving us a warning that there is coming a day that they long for. They long for the coming of the Messiah to set them free. They longed for the coming of what they thought was God's reward to them in the midst of their selfishness, in the midst of their mockery and worship, in the midst of their blaspheming. They actually thought in their own minds when they entered into the temple of the Lord that God was pleased with them and they longed for the coming of the day of the Lord. And we need to be careful for us who long for the coming of the day of the Lord whenever Christ comes back. That we understand that if we are not founded and based within scripture. Then that day is going to be as disastrous for us as it was for them. We see that in chapter 9 verse 11. Where again it talks about this day of the Lord. And says in that day I will rise up the booth of David that has fallen. Here it is clearly depicting the coming of Christ. It is clearly depicting the offshoot of Jesse, the, the genealogy that came from David going all the way down to Christ. These people were longing for that day, but, Christ, but God has a complete different day of the Lord for them. And we can see it if we turn left in your Bible to chapter 5, verse 18. And again, this is applicable to them, but it's very much applicable to us today. When it says in chapter 5, verse 18, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Woe to you, the northern kingdom that is Israel, that you desire the day of the Lord. And it is the same thing for us today. Woe to you who sit today within churches throughout Northern Ireland and Europe and the rest of the world longing for the coming day of the Lord, longing for the return of Jesus Christ and yet not actually understanding the fullness of the scripture. And he says, why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. These people were gathering in the house of the Lord. They were gathering in the understanding that their wealth and their prosperity, they thought was an actual sign of the blessing of the Lord, when actual fact it was the complete condemnation of the Lord upon them. So he says, your solemn assemblies, even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offering of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. We've looked at the past couple of weeks, whenever we saw and understood these new way of worship, this entertainment worship, where it's all just like it was whenever we used to be in darkness. It's the same lighting, it's the same atmosphere, it's the same songs, it's the same melodies, it's the same rhythmic beat, it's, everything's exactly the same, but we've substituted words of flesh for apparently words of the Spirit. And he says to them, and he says it to us today, take away the noise of your songs, to the melody of harps I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. What does God desire? I don't desire your solemn assemblies. I don't desire for you to come together in my name. 
I don't desire for you to call yourself and label yourself the bride of Christ, my church, and yet take my word and cast it aside and do whatever you think is going to be culturally relevant or do whatever you think is going to actually reach people. It is my word that saves. It is the gospel that saves. What I desire is that justice roll down like waters. That what else? That righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. We are meant to be like living waters that come from the inside of the Holy Spirit outwardly. We're meant to walk in righteousness. We're meant to walk in justice. And he goes on in chapter 8 to once again build upon that. And he says, The end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord God. So many dead bodies, they are thrown everywhere. Silence. There's coming a day, God says, when I will silence the songs that are being sung, apparently in my name. There is coming a day when I will silence the leaders of the flock, the pastors, the elders of the church that have taken my word and have proclaimed it in a manner that was not fitting, have taken my word and apologized over the true meaning of the word. That's what the church in Scotland are going to do. They're going to come out and apologize for the people that came before them that stood upon the immutable word of God Almighty and they're going to apologize for what they deem to be a hate crime against homosexuality. God says, I will silence them. So many dead bodies. There's so many in that day. There's going to be the attack of the Syrians and the people were going to be slaughtered. And God is saying that there is so many dead bodies right now today. The walking dead claiming to be alive, claiming to be righteous, claiming to be my bride, claiming to be sons and daughters of my kingdom. And yet I will silence them. Massive warning, Amos. Massive warning for Amos for us today. We do not come away from the meaning of the scriptures. We do not come away from what God says simply to appease or simply to make ourselves feel more comfortable with who God is. Next week we're going to be going into election. We're going to be looking at sovereignty. We're going to be looking at all these different terms and attributes of God that for some we're not comfortable with, but we're going to turn to Scripture and see what Scripture says about who God is, and we're not ashamed of what Scripture says, and we're not ashamed of who God is. We're going to cling to Scripture and let it be the foundation of the church in which we want to be built upon. Amen? And he goes on and says, So many dead bodies, they are thrown everywhere. Silence. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor out of the land to an end, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale? Even my Sabbath, my commandments become a burden to you. When will this day be over so I can get home? When will my tick box be done? When will the sun set on the Sabbath so I can once again get back to being all about me? And God says, I know your heart. Northern Kingdom, and I know your heart today, apparent bride of Christ. You do not long for me. You do not long to be with me. You touch on prayer to me as quickly as you can. You long for it to be over. It's in the car on the way to work. There's no meaning in it. There's no truth in it. There's no depth in it. There's nothing in your heart or in your mind that longs like a bride should long to be with her groom. You can't wait for your time with me to be over, to busy yourselves once again with the sale of your goods. And he continues by saying that we may make the Ephraim uh, small and the shackle great, 
and deal deceitfully with false balances. For them in that day, it was all about the selling, it was all about cheating, it was all about giving a false balance so that they could make themselves more wealthy. And in our day today, churches are doing that spiritually. They're taking the scales of God, which is his word, and they're making them unjustly balanced so that they can encompass more people into the bride of Christ, apparently bringing in the practicing homosexual, the practicing adulterers, the practicing fornicators, the practicing liars, the practicing sinners of this world, and thus get a bigger congregation, get more tithes and offerings. We're going to disbalance the scales so that we can have a better, bigger, more powerful apparent church when in actual fact you are to be pitied you have an unbalanced scale if i took the word of the word of god and set upon the scales it would show the true measurement that if you are a practicing homosexual practicing homosexual the word of god says you are in sin the only thing that can rectify that balance is the blood and the atonement paid by jesus christ to once again make you right with god through his word repentance through the blood of christ is the only thing that is going to change people how can we get that How can the person today through that church in Scotland who walks up an aisle as a practicing homosexual who is no different, let's put it out there, than the person today who is of a different uh, partnership is a man and a woman that if they are living together and not married is equally as condemned by the word of the Lord. Marriage is for one man and for one woman. We see that clearly right throughout scripture. The Bible is very clear to tell us that the practicing liar, the practicing homosexual, the practicing fornicator, all these attributes that acquire themselves to sin, there's only one thing that is going to happen to you if you do not repent, and that is hell. Second death. How can any pastor allow in good conscience and good knowledge, to get the scales so misbalanced that he would actually walk up to the throne room of the Lord and enter into the spiritual throne room through the veiled curtain which Christ himself torn through the high priest that is Jesus Christ and bring those people into a false safety that they are right, right in good standing before the Lord, that they do not need to repent, that they can twist scripture to tell them whenever Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died for all the world. You do not need to repent. You do not need to turn. And in fact, we as a church are sorry. And when they're going to stand before the holy living God and God Almighty will say, I give you my word. And it clearly says that I am just to send you to eternity of separation from me where the demons and the demonic forces of this world are going to be thrown and that is the lake of fire, the second death. I would fear the day if I was a pastor within that denomination and I stand before the living God Almighty and see the sea of practicing homosexuals that I, I, not God, said were right and good standing before the Lord. What will happen to that person? I do not know, but I do know that the Bible says be very slow not to become a teacher of the word because you will be judged at a higher merit and a higher standard than those who are walking up the aisle and are listening to the unbalanced scales of a false prophet, a false minister, a false teacher, a false elder, a false pastor who is taking the sheep not into pastures green, but taking them down a broad road that leads to destruction. That's why you need to pray for the elders of this church. You need to pray for me as your pastor that I will never be shaped nor conformed by culture and I will never desire to be culturally culturally relevant at the costing of eroding the fullness and the truth of his word. 
And that anything that is preached from this pulpit, you have to take scripture and align it with everything that I'm saying. Deal with them of false balances that, that we may buy the poor for silver. They're buying the spiritual poor with a false gospel. They're buying the spiritual poor, the spiritual hungry with a false gospel so they can profit off them. And the needy for a pair of sandals. It's churches just like the church that he is describing here that go on mission trips, that go in to help the needy and the poor, that bring out humanitarian aid. And do you know what else they bring out? Nothing. No gospel, no truth, no purity of the word. What is the point in going to a Muslim? What is the point in going to a Hindu? What is the point in going to an atheist if you do not bring them the gospel? And in fact, the only thing that you are doing is you're bringing out humanitarian aid or bringing out goods to be able to appease their hurting and appease their, their current situation. Not for their benefit, but for your own. So that you can be in a cover of a magazine of your church or that you can post it on Instagram or Facebook. It's all about you, God says, and I know your heart and everything that you do. And the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. And he goes on again to describe that day. And he says, on that day in verse 9 of chapter 8, he says, on that day declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. Again, this is a depiction of what is going to happen in Revelation. We see it in Revelation 6.12. We see it in Revelation 8.13 where it talks about the seals being broken. It talks about the sun being blackened. It talks about the skies will roll away like a scroll. It talks about the stars will fall away. It says how he will wipe out a third of the stars and a third of the sun. There is the coming of the day of the Lord and it is not going to be good for the people who have a misbound scale of the gospel. It is not going to be good for people who take scripture alone and twist it so that it is culture alone that is shaping the word of God rather than scripture defining scripture. And I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and your songs into lamentation. There's coming a time, as we looked at before, as we visited a number of weeks ago, whenever Jesus is walking to the cross. And if you remember, those women who were mourning behind him, and Jesus turned and gave them that rebuke, the similar warning that Amos is giving here, where there's coming a day whenever the gathering of the so-called elect, the so-called church, the so-called bride of Christ, who are going to stand today in assemblies, contradicting the word of God, singing what they think to be a pleasing and appeasing songs of Lord and he says you are going to turn your songs into songs of crying because there's only one place that you are going to go sitting here today one of two places either to the throne room of the Lord to the heaven that is to come or to outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth you will either praise or you will lament the massive warning through Amos that we see clearly right throughout the gospels with Jesus as well, of the coming day of the Lord. Your songs into lamentation, I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning of an only son and the end of, of it like a bitter day. You're going to cry out, Revelation says, on the day of the Lord and the coming back of the true Christ. Not the meek and mild Christ that people want to depict, but Christ on his 
throne coming back on a white horse with eyes of fire to judge the living and to judge the dead. That is a fearful day for any of us to have known that you've taken scripture and allowed it because of your own desires and your own wants or in the name of the broader word of love, just like Peter did to Jesus when he says, no, Jesus, you will not go to the cross. And Jesus rightly rebuked him in the midst of his love by saying, get behind me, Satan. The work of the Presbyterian Church in Scotland today, bear no bones about it, is the work of the devil, is demonic, and is pagan. And there's churches throughout the world today that are gathering around his word and they are twisting it and they're shaping it into a balance that suits themselves. It is no longer about denying self. It is no longer about following after the Lord. It is no longer about the sanctification process. It is no longer about the regular meeting of the church. It is no longer about holding each other accountable. It's about me. It's about me. It's about me. And in case you don't understand, it's about me. It's why the church today is not relevant. Because we no longer define ourselves as being out of the culture. People, as we've looked at, want to come to church and they want it to be a different experience. They want it not to be religious. They don't want any conviction. If you preach the word of God, it will convict. And through that conviction is the very methodology that God Almighty uses to show you the fact that you are a wretched, sinful person that you actually cannot see because you're blind and that you're dead in your trespasses and that your only hope is to fall upon your knees and call out to a living God who could justly and rightly send you to eternity in hell. But by his grace, he reaches out and softens your heart and gives you the chance, even this morning or throughout the world or anybody who's listened to this online, to get on your knees and to repent and once again turn to scripture as your only authority in faith and in practice. This is what I want to look at going forward over the next couple of weeks. I want to look at how there is a famine in the land. And for many of us, if we are not careful, we can fall subject to that same famine. It's only put on the TV, put on the so-called God channel, and show me anyone on the God channel who is preaching an authentic gospel that is, that is a balance wed upon scripture and not wed upon their own selfish desires or selfish gains or upon their selfish desires and their selfish gains. That's why you go in any bookshop and we always talk about what books do you see? All about self. The better you. The better you now. The better life now. There is nothing better in life now. It is a life that is to come that is better. That's why Amos says that there will be bald heads. There will be no crowns of righteousness handed out on the day of the Lord to those who have a false balance and a false gospel. But for those of us who stay true to the scripture, even if it means imprisonment, which is going to come. For those of us who understand scripture and understand that things have to get really, really, really bad. Whether you believe in the rapture, pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, mid-tribulation, it matters not. We all can agree that it's going to get really, really bad to the point where we as Christians are not going to be able to even buy or sell goods without the mark of the beast. It's coming. And we have to make sure that we're ready. We have to understand how the gospel works, how the word is applied, and be able to better ourselves in the study of the word. So if someone comes to us and asks us the gospel, or asks us what this word means, we can tell them who God is, how he works, what the gospel is, and how the word of God is immutable. Learn that word. It is immutable. It does not change. It is the same today. It was the same yesterday. It is the same tomorrow. It is, it was, and it is to come. It is applicable to God Almighty because He spoke it. We're looking forward to the sermon series.
Let's pray, guys, and we'll come together and worship. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this introductory week, Father God, as we use the book of Amos, Father God, to show us, Lord, how there was a famine coming upon the land in his day, Father, and there's a famine now on the land, Lord. As he said, not a famine of bread or famine of water, Father God, but a famine of your word, Lord. That there is sheep throughout this world that are going and looking and desiring to hear a true, authentic word of you being preached, God. And they are failing, Father God, because your bread has been corrupted, Lord. Man has got in, Father God. Man has once again got in and destroyed your word, Father. And I pray, God, that we as a church can be known as a church that wants to be an expositor of your word, Father God. We want to stand on biblical theology. We want to derive biblical doctrine from nothing else apart from sola scriptura, Father. And God, I pray that in your grace, you guide us through your Holy Spirit. Father, be with us over the next number of weeks as we delve into your word, Father, as we get our balances right before you, God Almighty, that we do it in fear and trembling, Father God, that we set aside everything that we may have conceived and lean only, Father God, upon your word. Father, I pray for anyone here, Lord, that we get this word, Father God, that we have this word on us all the time, that we read it, Father God, that it changes us, Father God, that we cling to it, Father God, and that we see it as the prophecy of Amos came to true. That they had goods, they had things, Father God, but without your word, they had nothing. They were poor, Father. So God, I pray, Lord, that we do not fall subject to that same twisting of your word, Father. But yet, Lord, we hold your word up and we say that this is the only authority that I am going to base my life around. My faith is based upon your word and my practices are based upon your word, Father. And God, we praise you today that we can be in a gathering of brothers and sisters who desire for your word to be preached, who desire to be changed by your word, Father. Lord, let us cling closely to each other, Lord, over these next weeks, and let us challenge ourselves to what your scripture truly teaches. Father, we thank you, and we ask you to be with us now as we close in worship. In Christ Jesus' mighty name, Father. Amen. We'll stand together in my worship.